to your neighbor and ask him something, but I'm going to do that this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, how tall are you? Talk, you know, talk about it. How tall are you? Okay, that, that, you should be well done with that by now. Now turn to your neighbor. Now turn to your neighbor and ask your neighbor this. What are you doing about it? Clearly, you guys, clearly the question is ridiculous. Clearly, the question is completely ridiculous. What does it matter? How could you do anything about how tall you are except for buy pants with the correct inseam? I mean, there's really nothing that you can do about that. So how tall are you and what are you doing about it? That'll be a constant question running through this message. When I was a kid, we would stand in our closet and my mom would mark the heights of my brother and I. And I noticed there was this one summer that I grew like this much, like three or four inches just in a summer. I just sprouted up. And guess what I did during that time? I ate. I ate everything I could find. And then I ate some more. That's what kids do. When you grow, you need to eat, right? When you grow, you eat. And, and it's just part of the natural life cycle. And and. I ask the question, how tall are you? Not because I care about your actual height, but we care about your spiritual stature. See, Christianity is a life. Following Jesus is a life. It grows and it diminishes. When you exercise it, like we talked about through volunteering, and and when you exercise your spiritual gifts, you, you begin to grow. And when you don't exercise it, you begin to diminish. There was a lot of times I'd go on vacation and not read anything. And I'd come back and I'd be like, uh, what do I even preach on? I read 600 pages this last vacation. It was the greatest vacation I've ever had. I just literally sat down with just books, Bonhoeffer, it, it, these great theologians just read, read, read. And now I actually feel more energized because I exercise something that I love to do. So the question really becomes, what is your spiritual stature? How spiritually significant are you? How tall are you? And what are you doing about it? Let me ask the question a little bit different way. Let's take two seconds, and I want you to ask your neighbor this question. Who is the most spiritually significant person in my life? Who is the most spiritually significant person in my life? Just talk to your neighbor for two seconds about that. I think I just heard somebody say Jesus. That's the, such the churchy answer. I know we're in church. Oh, thanks. That's not what I was looking for either. And then ask the question, what did you change as a result of this person? What did you change as a result of this person? Well, when you have a spiritually significant person in your life, you can't help but grow. You cannot help but change to, to look a little bit more like them. Think about it 
when you're when you're short and you're small. Yeah, but you and Sophia, you, you guys know this. You come from a long family of shortness. You see that we in youth group we make fun of them all the time for their height, but it's in love. It's okay. Um, but she sees somebody like John, our worship leader, and is like, man, if I could just be that tall, I could get there. No, but, but literally, there's times in my life, I remember there's this guy, and, and for many of you, this name would just be nothing. You, won't, you don't have any emotional connection to this name. But um, there's this guy named Dallas Willard, and he's written a number of books. And whenever I found out he was speaking in the area, I always went because I was just like, man, i got to be like that guy. And then one day, he spoke at APU, and there was an alumni lunch, and I got to sit next to him at his table for like a whole hour and just listen to him talk and, 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 and all this stuff. And I just remember sitting there going, man, I want to be like that guy. That guy awesome. That guy really knows God in a way that I don't know him yet. That guy knows God in such a different way. His mind is so much with Jesus in the present. How, how do I get to be like that guy? We need people who are spiritually taller than us around so that we can grow. Because that's how we grow. God uses people to grow people. And God wants you to use you to be taller than somebody else. And God wants you to find somebody spiritually taller in your life to learn from. So I was going through the Bible, and one of the things about today, just so you know, I normally preach in series. Um, we were going to do this series called um, You Asked For It. It was just going to be answering questions and things like that. And I got a few of those in, but I really felt convicted to move on to Galatians. So next week, we're going to move on to Galatians, and we'll do that series another time. Um, but I will answer some of the questions that were emailed to me. I'll answer back in an email. So a couple of you that emailed me questions. Um, but today, I wanted to just go through the life of Joshua. I just kind of felt called to, to, to go through this. And Joshua, of course, was Moses' aide and the guy who went into the promised land. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 33. We're going to be kind of all over Exodus 33, starting in verse 7. They'll be on the screens. They'll be on Bibles ahead of you. And um, just check this out. Now, the backstory of this, so you understand, Israel is God's chosen people. God's chosen people are in slavery in Egypt. And God wants his people out of slavery and into freedom. And so what he does is he raises up this guy named Moses, and he says, Moses, lead my people into the land that I will give them. And so Moses says, okay, great, all these miraculous things happen. The people are amazed, and as soon as they get in the desert, they start rebelling. It was better in Egypt. Life was better. If only, there's this one great verse in the book of Numbers, if only we could eat the watermelon that grew by the Nile. And by the way, that's one of the ways we knew that Watermelon are indigenous to Africa. If you didn't get anything, at least you learned that this morning, right? Okay, but so the Israelites are now going um, away from this old system of Egypt and now learning their new way of life, which is freedom. They're now beginning to learn what this is. They're now beginning to get a taste of freedom. And here's one of the things that happens. Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. 
while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But don't miss this little part. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua did not leave the tent. You know, when we look at that initially, we might think, oh, Joshua is more spiritually aware than Moses. Joshua was being a better Christian than Moses, even though Christians weren't around yet. Joshua was being better than Moses. But really, what was happening here in the ethic of the day and what people were trying to do during the day is that Joshua saw something incredible. He saw that his his boss, Moses, knew God in such a way that they spoke face to face. And most commentators say about this verse, is the reason why uh, Joshua stayed there is because he wanted that kind of life. He wanted the kind of life that Moses had with God. He wanted that kind of relationship with God. So he stayed at the tent both day and night. He altered everything else in his life so that he can stay at the tent and be near God to grow in spiritual maturity. This is a huge deal. We cannot understate the importance of this time in Joshua's life. This little note that he did not leave the tent would become to define his life. We think, how did people grow back then? You know, there was no printing press around. Uh, papyrus and, and reed were kind of hard to come by in the desert. So how did people grow back then? How did people learn? Did they do their daily devotions and read their Bibles? No, they, I mean, they didn't have text to read. They learned through other people who knew and experienced God. They would walk with them through life. That's how people learned back then. That's how people grew back then. Joshua understood the very vital fact that in order to grow, he had to be near God. He couldn't leave the tent. He simply had to stay there. Jesus makes the same point in, in John chapter 15. And if you're, you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. It's just in a couple of verses here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is simply trying to make a point that you cannot do spiritually significant things without being attached to the vine. And Joshua got this thousands of years before this. Joshua got it. Joshua was the one hanging out at the tent, waiting for God to show up, waiting to hear from God, waiting to grow from God. He wanted it so bad that he altered his daily life for it. And I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves today. Are we ready to reorganize? Are we ready to realter? Are we ready to change what we do on a daily basis so that we can hear from God? Because sometimes life is just too, simply too noisy. And we need to get to a quiet place, but we're not willing to do that. Sometimes life is too packed and too crowded, and we're not willing to, to throw some things out of our schedule to hear from God. And we need to be willing to do that if we want to grow. 
I hear people say sometimes, um, and I, I, I love this, you know, people say, I, I don't feel fed, or I don't feel like I heard the word of God, and I don't feel this, you know, I don't feel this certain feeling. And, and my question back is, is your daily life organized around the things of God? Is your daily life organized in such a way that you actually hear from God and do what he says on a daily basis? Because if it's not, I'm telling you, I will never, ever, ever preach a good enough sermon for you. Ever. I will never have good enough series. I will never give you good enough stuff just on one day a week on a Sunday. I am wholly insignificant to your spiritual growth. There's a part of, of coming to church, there's a huge part of coming to church that's extremely significant for you to grow spiritually, and that is your interaction with others. That's hearing the Word of God, absolutely. But you don't do that every day of the week. You don't do that every day of the week. So when I hear that, the question becomes, what is your daily life organized around? How tall are you? What are you doing about it? Like I said before, when I hung out and had lunch that one time with Dallas Willard, and when I was around other people in my life, like for seven years, I went to Starbucks every um, Monday morning at 6 a.m. with a guy named Joe Halbert, who was my mentor. And then on Wednesday afternoons, I would spend time at 5 p.m. during dinner time with a guy named Gordon Coulter, who was another one of my mentors. And every single time, it was like, man, I need to be that tall. I've got to grow up to that. I've got to reach something. I've got some stuff that I need to attain to in my life. My friend Joe was going through such a controversy at his church. They found out that there was a big, one of the staff members had this big um, sexual sin thing. And Joe's prayer during the whole time was, man, I just want to have a pastor's heart, and I just want to come around these people that have been so hurt, and I just, I just want to help them. And during the time when Joe was describing it to me, I was like, well, I just want to take a baseball bat and hit You know, and I realized I had some growing to do. I had quite a bit of growing to do. Like I said, Joshua, this comes to define his life, that he spent time with the Lord, because the call after that in Joshua's life would be to be strong and courageous. And we're going to look at that a little bit today and what that means. Numbers 14, 1 through 9. Go ahead and flip there. I'm going to talk about it for a second. And then, um, so just go ahead and flip there. Let's see. Great. I don't have, here I have it. All right. So like I said, this would come to define Joshua's life. This time spending with, time with God would define his life. So let me give you some um, example of this. When you spend time with God, you begin to know what God's will is. Just like, let me ask you this. Those of you who've been married for some time, do you know the will of your spouse? Does anybody here who's been married for some time not know the will of your spouse? We have marriage counseling for you. You really... When you've been married for a while, you begin to learn the will, what somebody else wants in your marriage. You begin to, like, you're at a store, and you're like, huh, my wife would probably buy this and not this. My wife sent me grocery shopping, and, and now I'm just beginning to pick out the things that she would pick out. Because I'm beginning to understand her will. I've spent enough time with her to know what she's thinking, to know what she wants. 
And this is the same with Joshua. He's spending enough time with God to know what God is thinking, to know what God wants, to know God's will. And so he spends enough time with him. So now there's 12 guys that that Moses collects, and he says, go out to this land of Canaan. If we're going to take the land, we need to first spy on this land and, and see whether or not it's good. What are the weak points? Where can we take it? This is strategic military intelligence stuff. And so they went out there, and, and they saw giants, and they saw scary things, but they also saw a beautiful land. All 12 of them came back and said, the land is gorgeous. The land is beautiful. Only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we ought to go after it. We ought to take it. God is giving it to us. Let's go do it. Ten of them would say, no, we need to revolt and get out of here. No, we cannot go into this land. It is great land, but we'll be defeated. They were scared. They still had the mindsets of prisoners and slaves from Egypt. Numbers 14, 1 through 9 says this. That night, and this is after they came back and gave the report. Ten wanted to go, two wanted to go forward. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let me just tell you that little line. What that little line means is we should take Moses, unseat him, put a new leader in, and head back home. That's what that means. They wanted to to overthrow Moses. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehuphanes, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land of a land flowing of milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. It's precisely because of Joshua's time with the Lord that he knew the will of God that he was able to stand there and say, we can defeat them. Joshua knew the will of God. He spent time with God. He was concerned with his spiritual stature. How tall are you? What are you doing about it? What is your spiritual stature? The great thing about Joshua is that before he ever crossed the Jordan, before they ever fought the Battle of Jericho, he was already strong courageous because it wasn't his courage he was borrowing it from the lord those great things he did and he did later on were birthed out of very simple obedience spending time with the lord i mean and this was 40 years later that he went and did all this great stuff we were talking about this verse with our students we were talking about what great things could god do in your life if you invested 40 years in just time with the lord i mean obviously you would do stuff You wouldn't just sit in the tent all day. You would do other things. But what if you invested your life, organized your life around God right now? What great things would God do in your life 40 years from now? Deuteronomy 31. 
verses 1 through 8. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. I am now 120 years old. I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord our God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did in Shion and Og, the king of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you. You must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you must go with these people into the land that God swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Moses gives this call. He's passing over his power to Joshua. And he says, you need to be strong and courageous. Something, by the way, he already was because he already stood up to these ten people and he already stood up to the entire peer pressure of the tribe of Israel and said, no, do not listen to these ten. We need to go in the land that God is giving us. Do not listen. He was already strong and courageous because of his time with the Lord back in that tent. You could trace it back to a moment. Deuteronomy 31, God says, right to, uh, to Joshua, he says, The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, Be strong and courageous. For you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them an oath. I myself will be with you. The Lord says the exact same thing to Joshua. So one, I think God wants us to be spiritual giants. I think God wants us to be spiritually taller. In the same way that you look up to somebody and go, man, I I just want to be like that person. I think God wants us to be like that spiritually. And not in any uh, prideful way, because the one who is taller spiritually than the rest would certainly not be prideful. They would certainly be humble. And they would certainly be the type of person that loves others in, in a profound way. So I think God wants spiritual giants. And I think that's what he wanted from his people, but he also needed an entirely new mindset for his people. And one of the things you notice when you begin to read the story of Joshua is that there's this play on words. There's strong and and courageous and afraid and discouraged. You begin to see that everywhere as you read the story of Joshua. Don't be afraid and discouraged. Be strong and courageous. And it keeps going back and forth because there's a mindset that, that, that people who are bound in slavery have and that's afraid and discouraged. But they don't feel like they can ever do it. And we get that way, don't we? When we're bound up in our own sin, when we're bound up in slavery, we begin to be afraid and discouraged. But God wanted a free people to occupy his new space. He needed a free people. He wanted this, this example to the rest of the nations of what freedom really looked like, what freedom in him really looked like. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this today is because as we go through the book of Galatians, you just see this 
this theme of freedom going, abounding like crazy. Because Paul wanted his people to be free. There's this great guy named Niebauer who's this old uh, uh, scholar who died in the 50s, but great writer. He, He wrote, man is most free in the realization that he is not free. Man is most free in the realization that he is not free. And what that means is we need to get out ahead of our desires. Our desires still control us. Our desires... Um, whatever they might be, still control us and still put us in this place of slavery. But with Christ, we can get out ahead of those desires and live in true freedom. So God wanted a people who were totally free to go occupy the land. What does God want you to go occupy? What does God want for you in your future? Whatever it is, you probably need to spend time with the Lord in order to learn how to become free so that you can fully take grasp of it. Our church, if, I mean, if we want to grow, we need to learn how to be free people. I mean, if we want to reach out to the world, we need to learn how to be free people. If you want to reach out to a member of your family, you've got to learn how to be free people. If you want God to do great things, we need to learn to be free people. Not under bondage or oppressed or afraid or discouraged. Because the promise that God gave to Moses is, I myself will be with you. And when the God of the universe is with you, there is nothing that can stand against you. Let's keep going in Joshua's life. So the two questions, how tall are you? Are you on a trajectory to become a spiritual giant? How tall are you? Are you on trajectory to grow spiritually? How free are you? God has promised for God has promises for his people, including a promised land. But not just anybody could occupy it. He did not want a people that were slaves to their past, or slaves to their wealth, or slaves to their comfort, or slaves to just knowing what tomorrow looked like. No, God wanted a free people who knew that the Lord was with them. God wanted a people who were strong in the face of temptation, courageous in the face of a world that could easily defeat them. God knew that the only kind of person who could step in and take hold of his promises were the ones that were free. Joshua chapter 1, God reminds Joshua four times to be strong and courageous. Just in chapter 1 alone. And then in chapter 2, one of the, a very interesting thing happens here. Um, some spies meet this prostitute named Rahab, who's a Canaanite, and says to them, um, we've heard of all that God has done, and we are afraid and discouraged. God wants free people for his new land. Fear is a sign of captivity. People who are strong and courageous are taller than everyone else. They are our measuring stick. Oftentimes, God gives us example of people in our lives to measure ourselves against. People as examples. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says over and over and over again, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Because we learn through one another. Maybe Joshua wasn't the greatest fighter. We don't really know his fighting history. We don't know if he was the strongest guy out there. We don't, there's a lot we don't know about Joshua. But we do know that he was more spiritually significant because he took the time in his life 
to spend time with God. He took the time in his life. He saw Moses and went, man, if I could just talk to God face to face like that, that would be amazing. Who is it for you? Who is taller than you in your life? Who's taller than you? And how tall are you? What are you doing about it? Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I am like the shortest of the short, uh, of the runt of the litter. I don't know anything about what this guy is talking about. I don't know God. I don't know any of this stuff. All I could simply say to you is when you begin to reorganize your life and say, get a little bit of your Bible and you talk to God each day, that you begin to grow. When you exercise those muscles that God has given you, you begin to grow. When you use those spiritual gifts that God has given you, you begin to grow. And as you grow and grow and grow and grow, you get to the point where you know God's heart, you know God's will, and you certainly wouldn't do anything to displease him. But you would always be in this effort to, to um, it's almost effortless to walk with God. So how tall are you? To what extent do your wife, your kids, your husband, your coworkers look to you and say, man, I wish I was like her. Or man, I wish I was like him. To what extent? Joshua may not have been the tallest one in the camp, but spiritually he was taller than everybody else. I'm of the strong opinion that the church needs more spiritual giants. The church, people here sitting in these seats, they need you to take your spiritual life seriously. I need you to take your spiritual life seriously. You need me to take my spiritual life seriously. Because as we begin to do that, and as people begin to really take it more seriously, then we begin to grow. And when you begin to grow, then somebody else in the church, I mean, I've seen this happen over and over and over again. We're like, uh, the, the way I've seen this most is where guys in our church invite some of the guys from the youth group to go help them like, work on their yards. They have yard work for a day. And you, you hear him coming back. You're going to know, this is the best one. Man, Dennis is so cool. He let me use the chainsaw. <laughs> Man, this is so cool. This person let me do this. Oh, I went with Danny and we tore Ivy out. Or I went, I, I did this, this, this. When you're spiritually taller, people look up to you and go, man, I want to be like that. But when you're spiritually taller, you'll never have an attitude of cockiness about it. How tall are you? What are you doing about it? I think the church needs people to take their spiritual life seriously. Because we need something to aspire to. I look at people like when Malcolm um, left us for heaven this last year. Just days before he died, I was sitting across from him having um, coffee and crackers in in his bedroom with him, talking. And I just was talking with him going... Man, when I'm 96 years old, if I could just be just, just a little bit like Malcolm, that would be amazing. We need spiritual giants in the church. Because spiritual giants help us grow. Spiritual giants help us to be free and walk into our freedom. Spiritual giants help us get out of bondage. Spiritual giants are the ones that know God's voice. And when you can't hear God's voice, it's really helpful to walk with a giant. When you don't know what God is saying to you, it's really helpful to have that person come alongside and say, let me walk with you through this time. When you don't know the decisions that are to be made, it's really important to have that person you can call. 
God wants to raise giants. God wants you to do it. it. And the greatest thing is, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what level of education you have. I mean, look at the guys that Jesus took. I mean, Jesus would probably even let me be his disciple. He took this ragtag group of guys, some of them educated, some of them really uh, esteemed, and some of them lowly It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in life. God wants to raise you up to be a free person. So I think I'll simply end with these two questions. How tall are you? And what are you doing about it? Let's pray. Father, as we think about our own spiritual statures, God, what you are doing in life in this church, what you are doing in our own hearts, Lord, I pray that there would be this burning desire within us to grow, to become taller people, to become the type of people that would make others happy. You made this world and put us in it. God, I pray that you would lead us to yourself. God, that we would walk into the freedom that you are offering us. Father, there's some here today who might simply need to say, I'm going to start that journey today. God, I'm going to be with, I'm going to just do this today. Maybe it's simply in their own hearts. They simply need to bow their hearts to you and say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender my life to you. And Lord, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to learn what this means. I'm going to try and figure this out. God, I believe in the promise that you have for me. God, forgive me of my junk, my sin. And help me to walk in freedom with you. If that's you today, I would just encourage you to say that you need to tell somebody and let somebody know about that. Because you'll never know, you'll never grow unless somebody else really knows about that and help you walk through that. So, Father, lead us to a place of growth. God, lead us to a place where we grow spiritual justice.